just you're you're swimming upstream. You've got to always in our systems change the momentum. You've got to change the momentum, the pull of the system. It's taking people in a certain direction right now. The policies, the measures, the technology, what their their day-to-day performance measures are, all compensation, how they get compensated. All of those things are forces that are pulling people in one direction. And to think you're just going to overlay a nice little training on top of that to fundamentally shift how people work, it's nonsense. Welcome, everyone, to Episode 10 of the Stop Decorating the Fish podcast. I am your co-host, Randy Cox, and across from me is my hardworking wife, Kristen. Chris, you are back from a crazy three weeks. It's been crazy three weeks. Crazy. But it was bookend, bookended with a great Thanksgiving, and so... Yeah. You know, that was awesome. Yeah. So, Chris, we have covered five of the seductive seven so far. Mm-hmm. And these are worded like, you know, more money, more technology, whatever. But what we're really talking about are different manifestations of a core, you know, maybe unconscious underlying belief that we have that our problem is like a lack of something, yes. which you just totally disagree with. Totally disagree. I think it's a lazy, I think it's lazy thinking. Okay, so today what we want to do is talk about the sixth, one of the six items or the sixth item in the Seductive Seven, and this is that we need more training. Mm-hmm. So we should probably clarify that when we go over one of these items, it isn't that we're saying it's 100% bad, never do it. Right. Right, there's a time and a place. It's more nuanced than all or nothing. So right. I wonder if you could just explain that in general first. Sure. You know, these are all, all the Seductive Seven, we talk about tactics. There may be elements of the bigger picture that you've got to put in place for the full picture to work, but they by themselves aren't the entire solution. So a lot of people just think, if I just buy this new $200 million case management system, all my problems will go away. But you go deeper and you go, "Mm, what's the real problem technology is solving? And so all of the Seductive Seven are sometimes necessary to have a complete solution is a way to think about it. Or the last mile, the few pieces you've got to get and put in place to make everything work. But if you just stuck in the technology or you just put in the training or just stuck in a new data system, they just aren't powerful enough to really flip or transform the system. And it's because they aren't the solution. Like they're, they may help enable the solution, or perpetuate the right direction or cement in the solution, but they aren't the solution. Uh, I think one of your one of your recent LinkedIn posts, you talked about lasagna, and you're like, yeah. you said like, okay, you need noodles, but noodles are not lasagna. the recipe. Like the ingredients, yeah. any one ingredient is never the full recipe. Yeah, and people will say, yeah, we know that. We do a strategic plan, and then we build technology, and then we build training around how to use the technology and it's still it's just not deep enough it's the challenge to ourselves and it's a challenge I'm putting on myself with the big new project we have is can I in two pages really consolidate what's the problem we're really trying to solve it's really hard it's really tough to get there but what's the problem the customer's facing why can't they already have that issue resolved today and get really clear on that. And then what's the direction of our solution? And then what are all the tactics? I, I really wish I could replace the word strategy or policy with the word complete solution. 
because we, we get into this thing that we can pick pieces or parts of something and it's sufficient. And theory of constraints, we always talk about necessary versus sufficient. And we may have necessary elements in, on the table, but they're not sufficient to really make an impact. So, right. yeah. Well, I wanted to start with an idea from this chapter in your second book, mm -hmm. The World of Decorative Efficient. And you say sometimes we try to change people's behavior without recognizing the processes or the incentives that encourage them to do that behavior. And then you go on to say that like our systems and our policies generate our results. So if we want people to make different choices, we need to design different systems. Yeah. And it's like such an important idea. I wonder if you could like unpack that. Yeah, I, you know, the idea of training stems from the concept that the more information people have, the better decisions they will make or they'll make the, the decisions that we consider to be the right decision. And you have know, said this many times before, but we all know we should eat healthier, sleep more, get more exercise. We all know, you know, what we should do with better communication, all that. But it doesn't mean we do it. And so we have this fallacy that more knowledge equates to different behaviors. And that's just not necessarily true. Once in a while, you know, you, you can make that happen. But usually there's so many forces in the system that are pulling people in a different direction that just giving them more information isn't sufficient to overcome the momentum in the existing system. So basically the idea is that, you know, our systems are designed today to get exactly the results we're getting. So to assume we can just insert some more knowledge into the system really pushes the burden on, in, let's say we're, you know, you're a manager and you're running an organization, it really shifts the burden to the people not to leadership or management. It's like, look, yeah, they like, would do it right if we just gave them information. But what we don't sit back and contemplate is why are they doing it how they're doing it now? Yeah, so so management might bring HR into the room mm -hmm. and say, we're having this problem. We need you to do this training. Yeah. And then the HR performs the training. Yeah. And it's like, okay, we throw our hands up now if we don't get the result. But meanwhile, all of those forces, all of those incentives, all mm -hmm. of that stuff that was giving you know that was encouraging them to do the behavior they didn't want are still there are still there yeah it's just you're you're swimming upstream you've got to always in our systems change the momentum you've got to change the momentum the pull of the system it's taking people in a certain direction right now the policies the measures the technology what their their day-to-day -day performance measures are all compensation how they get compensated all of those things are forces that are pulling people in one direction. And to think you're just going to overlay a nice little training on top of that to fundamentally shift how people work, it's nonsense. And that'll fix it, yeah. So so if you've been following along in the, in the podcast, you know we when we cover one of the Seductive Seven, we talk about the illusion and the right mindset. So you've just covered the illusion, which is like we believe we need more information to improve or change their behavior. Yeah. Yeah, and th so that's the illusion. The right, the right mindset is we actually figure out what are the processes or the measures in the system, right? It could even be compensation, the way people are compensated for things. What what are those deeper things going on in the system that are perpetuating the things we don't like? And then how do we change those? How do we actually create a process or an incentive? And I mean incentive too. I'm not just saying, hey, we're going to not change the system. I see this. We see this. Um, I'm going to be honest on, on healthcare, and some people may disagree with me on this, but you know, this country and many most states have gone to managed care. 
or accountable care. And the idea there is in managed care and accountable care organizations, let's take accountable care, is that instead of doing a fee-for-service where we pay, you know, checkup costs this much, a shot costs this much, you know, you just give an actual reimbursement for each activity, we just give an insurance company, hey, here's $4,000 per person. Now you go ahead and figure out in your system how to manage that. And if uh, you can do it more efficiently, you can keep some of that money. And then hopefully, this doesn't always happen, hopefully push some of that money down to the providers. So the problem with that is that the assumption is that the providers don't want to do a good job and they will do a good job if they get some money. Now, I'm not saying that people Which don't want more money. By, right? Yeah, I'm not saying people right. don't want to be you know, compensated for their work. Who doesn't? But I would bet if you ask more doctors and you ask a lot of doctors and you say, what's making it difficult for you to do your job? The first answer isn't going to be that they don't get a, you know, a reimbursement rate pushback from their insurance companies because they did a more efficient procedure. That may be one aspect, right? I'm not you know, in their minds to know all of that, but just seeing this stuff play out, there are a lot of other challenges in our system that makes that difficult for a provider to give the kind of care he or she wants to give the patient. And so yeah, that's just an example. You can, you can shift the burden when we just use, so that's what I want to talk about incentives. It's, it's, it shows up everywhere. It's like how we compensate people. It's how we measure them. It's, you know, we'll do economic incentives, you know, across the country, different economic development people give incentives on different things. So we've got to make sure the incentives and the policies and the processes are really figured out and then we can train on that. But when we first just shift to let's more do more training, it's just not going to shift, you know, the healthcare system going in and telling doctors and nurses and great healthcare workers, here's how to do a procedure differently when everything else is kind of working against them. So the the simple example you start with in your workshops to try to teach this is from a fast food restaurant, like garbage cans. And that helps people to see, oh, okay, I could actually yeah, just yeah, bake Yeah, let's this give in. a concrete example. So actually I got this from a colleague years ago. I cannot remember his name. So I want to give credit to this person because I liked it. But you have a trash can and the fast food, you know, it's kind of a rectangular trash can. And when we go to fast food, and we all know we get those rectangular trays. And fast food companies, we're seeing that people were just throwing the whole tray away. You know, they take the tray and just dump it in the garbage can. Not everyone, but enough of the people, it was concerning. So they put a sign up, it says, please don't, please don't throw away the tray. Which again is just knowledge, right? Form of training. More training. Trying it's to train more, your customer. Yeah, train your customer yeah. and act differently. And it still didn't resolve the problem. Then somebody came up with the idea, we'll just make a rounded garbage can. The, the, the tray itself, can it literally cannot fit into the garbage can. Yeah, so what, it wasn't so much the shape, it was just make the hole so small yeah. that the tray couldn't fit yeah, in it. Yeah, it was like, yeah, it was a smaller, rounder shape, so you just can't even get it in. So they actually, what we call mistake-proofed the process so that you don't need to train people because it's like embedded into the process itself. And that's why what we really want to see happen is what's the policy, the measure, the process, whatever that's perpetuating these behaviors we don't like or doing detriment to the people we serve or to our employees. And let's fix those first. Then we can train people on how to use those new processes. But man, I just feel like it's so unfair sometimes to the people we serve or to our employees when we say, hey, 
we don't even understand our operations. Like we don't even know. I can, I t I've, <laughs> I've been in too many spaces where you get people in a room and you ask them how the process works and everyone has a different idea of it, right? So, I mean, it's just chaos environment. Or oh, you look at how people are being measured and it's like completely incentivizing the wrong behaviors. And then we train them and it puts the entire burden on them versus us as managers or leaders or whatever to take full responsibility for the system and to say, hey, wait, if I assume people are good, right? I start with that premise to force me to figure out what needs to be fixed on my end. Which is one of the pillars of TOC. Yeah, one of the pillars of TOC. Foundational pillars, yeah. Is then I've got to go look at what's allowing this to happen outside of just training them in the process. We have a great example in the book as well that I love. And this is an, Dr. Ashlock who wrote the book with me. This was his example. I'm working with the car dealership and the managers were really um, frustrated because in that business, you either have volume or margin, right? So you either sell a lot of cars at low margin or a few cars that are very expensive, but with higher margins, right? And they were always trying to train the salespeople of which car when they're talking to client or you know potential clients, which ones you can sell at discount or turn quickly for high volume and which ones you can't like they're they're good you need higher margins on these cars and train and train and the salespeople were frustrated the managers thought the you know salespeople were just you know not competent a lot of morale issues going on but finally it clicked dawned on the managers if you take full responsibility for it instead of trying to train the salespeople what could they fix what's a we call a physical change i'm uh, not just airy fairy words or things on paper or a training manual or a you know, little training session, but a physical change to really mistake-proof the process. And what they did is they just said, look, this part of the parking lot, we're gonna be put cars that you know we really don't wanna reduce the price too much. We want you know high margin on the, these cars. And cars on this side of the parking lot, you know, they're gonna be lower margins, but high volume. The dealerships. Yeah, so bond, I don't have to train. I'm all like, this kind of car is this, this is a, it's just like they've made a physical change. They changed how the parking lot works so that it made it very frictionless for the salespeople to know what to do. And all of a sudden the problem disappears. And this is just, it's just so rampant in some of these organizations that we work in and people are great, right? They're not, you know, you, you do need training. There's a time and place, but it follows the deeper, harder work to show people how to use the new process or what are the new measures or what is the new policy. But when we don't get deep into operations or flow, especially a lot of our organizations are just people don't understand the flow of how does a person or a product or a form or a patient in a hospital move from here to there with the highest amount of quality, with the, you know just high quality with very little cost or at least little cost as possible. Well, we don't understand even how that flow works. I don't care if you're in a massive hospital system or you're in business permitting or whatever. We don't even understand that, which few systems I see really have a grasp on that. Then, and we, we just throw more training at our people. It's just, we're creating chaos for them. Yeah. So when we talk about the idea of a physical change, uh, here's a great analogy. Again, our colleague, Jonathan Connery told us about, he has two, he has twins, two boys who are four and a cute little girl who's two. And whenever they're in the car, what do kids do? Fight, bug each other, poke each other, touch each other, bother each other. And he said they would keep telling him, stop touching each other, stop bothering each other. And it 
wouldn't stop. Like all of us have been there with small kids. If you have children or been around young children, Form just training. telling them, <laughs> yeah, just training them, right? Training is more knowledge, more information, just training them into not doing that just wasn't working. So he took one of the car seats and put it in the, the, the seat behind. So there was like, you know, one kid was behind the, the row of the first two kids. So that kind of created a physical barrier. And then in the middle of the two boys, when the li- one kid was put in the back, they put a, a cardboard box between them. So the kids literally could not <laughs> touch really? each other. Yeah. So it was like a partition. Like a partition. Like you literally <laughs> cannot hit each other. Right. They put made a physical change because we just think, oh, if I just keep talking to somebody about something <laughs> and train them into something, it'll be enough. But because they couldn't see each other. Yeah. And they, even if they wanted to, you know, the box. <laughs> so I love that is an idea, the analogy of, you know, a physical change and that term. Dr. Ajay Kapoor is a colleague of ours as well. Uh, just coined that because we are talking about the seductive seven and what's opposite of the seductive seven, which are a lot of administrative changes is making a physical change really where the, where we need to make it. So where it counts. Yeah. Yeah. Love it. Well, hats off to Jonathan. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> this I is just, I, he told me that story. I'm like, this is the best metaphor for physical Makes change. you wonder like these open office environments versus like little cubicle walls. Does that make Oh, yeah. I mean, geez, you know, and we wonder why people are bad multitasking sometimes. Anyway, I love that analogy. Uh, that's good. That's a great okay. example. Why don't we talk about something that's jugular out here in the West, and that's water policy. Because I've heard you talk about this in workshops with public service campaigns and billboards and trying to train the public on water usage versus mm-hmm. and like not changing any of the underlying mm-hmm. dynamics well and i think fortunately in the west that people are starting to really you know and people have before a lot of the, the water gurus but parts of the west you know there's water is a big deal and water pricing really matters and in utah for example when you look at a gallon of gas or a gallon of milk compared to a gallon of water, I mean, water is just so underpriced. And prices send signals, right? So if it's really cheap, people tend to overconsume it. Layer on top of that or they policies. Take it for granted, right? or they take it for granted. Or layer on yeah. top of that policies, which people are addressing, you know, have been addressing for the last couple of years, like water banking and things like that. But use it or lose it policy means. Basically, if you don't use your water rights within seven years, you lose your water rights. So it would incentivize people to use the water even if they didn't need it, right? So all the incentives in the system were driving overconsumption of water, including zoning laws, such as, you know, the you have a sidewalk and sometimes you have that grass area between the sidewalk and right, the road, right. that that has to be grass in some areas versus it could be rock or, you know, other things that are not so required so much so water. I think the city owns that though, even uh-huh. though it's like in front of your house, it's yeah. like, that's actually yeah. theirs, right? Yep. So there's a lot of incentives in the system that are driving overconsumption of water. And then you can, but they, you know, you can add, throw in a campaign there to like get people to use less water, right? Advertising and, you know, commercials and all that stuff to get people to use less water. And they could be hearing the ad while their water's just on when it doesn't need to be because there's no feedback loop to them that says, hey, you're overconsuming it based off price signals or changing policies, you know, things like that, you, all the things I talked about earlier. If those things are still in place, a campaign on top of that just isn't sufficient to make the kind of big changes, right? If you want to make little tiny baby incremental changes, that's fine. 
think about smoking. I mean, it's fa- I think it's fascinating in the United States how we were a culture of smoking. I remember being young and my, my parents were divorced and I'd have to fly up to Seattle to visit my dad. And I remember being on those planes when I was young with people smoking on the plane. You know, the car, the, I mean, the seats had like um, Ashtray. ashtrays, right? Isn't <laughs> that crazy? It doesn't no. happen. Like the whole culture's <laughs> changed, right? The whole culture's changed on this. And there was some, definitely a lot of advertising that went with that. But some of the, think about the physical changes that made it difficult to smoke. Well, what's a physical change? No smoking in public facilities, right? No smoking in restaurants, no smoking in airports, no smoking. A physical change, those kind of physical changes created so much friction about smoking that it made it difficult to smoke. Right. So you, you actually had to make some physical changes. And of course, you know, there were PSAs and all that, but they also increased the price of cigarettes. There's called sin taxes put on cigarettes now that make it pretty expensive to make the price signal capture what the, you know, the cost of smoking can be for society insurance and to the person. So there's these other physical changes. Imagine not changing the price of cigarettes not changing where and how people can smoke, not changing the age of when people can smoke, not changing these other more deeper issues and just you know doing PSAs on it. Probably, no, I can't say for sure, but my guess is we wouldn't have seen the change in the culture that we've seen around this issue. Right. So just uh, we need to make the physical change in the process or change the actual measure or things like that. But it's so easy to do the surface level it's so easy like like you had an example in your book about how many cities like overestimate the impact of their marketing campaigns for mass transit like go yeah. use our mass transit go use it it's yeah. great it's wonderful without addressing these all of the friction points oh, yeah. so, like I it's mean, hard to get to where they, i need to get yeah it's like the free, it's not convenient it adds another hour of my commute time it's not reliable all this kind of stuff and it's like you know We've got to deal with these deeper issues. And the, and the hard thing about the work we do with theory of constraints is that we take on a whole system, right? It's really easy to, let's take a hospital again and just fix one aspect of an ER room, right? And get a really good Kaizen going and make some improvements there. But that's not going to change the whole system. So this stuff is even more powerful when you take on the whole system and you refuse to just jump to training or any of those things that we do and really go deeper into what's going on as how do all of these parts work together? What measures are happening between the ER and inpatient, for example? Or, you know, we've seen ER rooms with like 60 different measures. That's pretty overwhelming for some folks. So even some of too many measures can incentivize poor behavior. So it's hard when you're looking, it can feel hard when you're taking on a whole system. And, you know, I don't, I, look, I've, but you can I see say how, all this stuff because I've done all this stuff, right? So yeah. I'm not here saying like, I've got all the answers and I'm still learning and growing. I'm just sharing my experiences, right? So everyone can take this or not. And, and I, you know, know I'm still a work in process here, but. But you could see, this is an example of how you could see how the seductive, seductive. part of the seven, like where that seductive word comes from, because it's, it's so, so much easier to have a, a, a meeting with your executive team and say, okay, we just need to do a training thing. And you pull like we're talking about, let's do a PSA it or whatever. It gives us some immediate gratification. It, it's immediate. It's and, quick. And people are good. So, right. So even the people and me, when I did this, my intentions were good and people are good. They want to make a difference. But what the biggest challenge in doing the big work, like the deeper 
transformative work in systems is the discipline of slowing down. There, we say, I use the word seductive for a reason. You know, I would love right now some chocolate ice cream, right? It would give me a short-term relief and seductive because I get a short-term gain out of that. But I know tomorrow morning I'm not going to be happy with that. And that is a, that's a level of discipline. It's the same thing with our systems. We want to jump to the obvious answer because we don't feel like we have time to go deeper. But, but we've yet, seen that. Like yeah. We've been with clients when you have explained this and they and the penny drops and there's almost like this, no, like I actually, like the real solution here is to face the entire system it's, and, yeah, it's, it's and the, you just have so much respect come, for them. It's the courage to confront it. Yeah, like a, no one wants to look at this. Part of it's unwinding our system, spending time you know, going deeper on why at this decision point that's so critical, are we getting it wrong, right? Technology, your training, all that stuff. What, what's happening there? What do I need to resource? What do I need to double down on? How, what policy there at that decision point is making it not work well? I got to like really, you know, I was talking to, you know, I was back in another client a couple of weeks ago and after our workshop, I was talking to the lady and I really, really appreciated what she had to say around this. It's, it feels like we don't have time to think. And if I could have one wish for organizations and leaders and managers in frontline is that we are in such a whack-a-mole. And you know, you and I talk about this, like I need my time, my focus time. I need my time without a million things hitting me, my text messages, my emails, 50 yeah. projects. To do that like, deep work. Because you got yeah. to have time to think. Yeah. It is becoming difficult to do. And imagine in our workplaces, if we scheduled in think days, where you got, you know, Bill Gates, I love what he does once a year, you know, I think for, he goes on the think week, he goes away for a week and just reads books and thinks. What if in our organization we embrace cultures of thinking, not motion in terms of how many activities or how many initiatives we have, but we actually put on the deeper thinking embedded into our organizations that gave us the few leverage points to focus on and so the, that we could create space yeah. to think. Yeah, it's hard. Otherwise, we're just, people are good and they want to make a difference. They're overwhelmed. So we j jump to something that's, a vendor comes to us, here's the solution. You know, we put out a new training initiative because it feels, feels like we're taking immediate action and it feels good. We get some immediate hits on that, like eating the chocolate ice cream at night. But in the long term, it probably isn't going to give us the deeper satisfaction we all want. And th this is another topic, but like the, this, this dynamic of not giving our people time to think is a function of the leader not controlling the whip in the organization. Which is a system process issue. Which is a whole another yeah. topic. Yeah, but we it's could like, just say, tell everybody, hey, go take time out to think. But then you look at how you're putting out emails and how many yeah. initiatives you're giving them and all the meetings we hold. And we don't even create space for people to think anymore. And so people work late at night to think or come early in the morning, which burns them out. We lose our good employees. Just, we got to slow down. And I have to, for me personally, I have to have protected time to think or I know I can't get to the deeper solutions that I know are out there if I'll take time to contemplate. Uh, that's really good. That's really good. Do you have any, we've got about 27 minutes here, yeah. 25 minutes. So yeah. do you have any final thoughts on this? Or People are good and people want to do a good job. When we assume it's just a lack of information, 
we may be missing some of the bigger problems going on. So just slow down. Look at, make it a little checkbox. What's the process that may be incentivizing this? What's the measure that may be encouraging this behavior? What's the day-to-day schedule that may be doing that? What technology is hardening in the wrong behaviors? Just take time to think about these things. And then when you're done understanding all that, you know what to fix, then put on your training. And your training will become powerful because you're training on the right solution. Yeah. So think and go deeper. Think. Yep. But sometimes that takes a, or you really need a tour guide, like somebody who's been there and it's very hard yeah, sometimes. I mean, sometimes you can fake do. somebody can arrive yeah, there on your I own. I love so. the article standing on the shoulders of giants and then we'll wrap it up by Dr. Goldratt because all of us have benefited from people before us, right? Henry Ford, this article goes through the, the history of, you know, basically flow in, in different environments, but Henry Ford really started to, figure out inventory and then Taiichi Ono take it to the next level and then Dr. Goldratt what's what we call drum buffer rope take it to the next level but all of them well even the idea about systems and the behavior that's like dimming you know like is is, dimming there's so many like none of us just live in a vacuum none of us are just like oh I figured this out I still making mistakes what I have learned is from my own failures but also learning from really really great mentors you know we need to open ourselves up to saying hey who who's getting this right where where can I go learn and grow so it's it's not that people aren't good we're all good I think people are trying hard when I say good it doesn't mean I always say look preface I know there's Ted Bundy's in the world but it's a it's a working premise it's it's not this work is so powerful but it's not easy and if you want an easy quick win like just throw out a training package go for it but I can pretty much guarantee you if you don't go deeper you're not going to get the results the people we serve deserve very good well let's let's wrap this up there here I would like to thank you for listening Chris and I both would if you're not already I encourage you to connect with Kristen follow Kristen on LinkedIn she does three really useful posts a week it's also an opportunity if you connect with Chris you can DM her there she checks those regularly if you have a future topic something you don't understand or something you'd like her to cover you can touch base with her there we also encourage you to check out the fulcrum which is Kristen's Kristen's online training community it's private training community it's also where she keeps her long-form content the stuff that's too big to just put out as a as a quick post or something on LinkedIn or Instagram and you can find out more about that uh, www.jointhefulcrum.com We also, after every podcast episode, we also take a few minutes and we record some bonus content that you can only find there. So, for example, we'll we'll pause here in a minute and we'll we'll go back and we'll talk about how do you apply, what are some specific ways to apply the content that we just talked about in that episode. So you can find that there. And uh, as always, if you found something of value in today's show, in a prior episode, please like the the show and share it with a colleague. That's how it will grow. And uh, we will see you on our next episode and stop decorating the fish. Thank you, everyone.